Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. Hear God's word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out in the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they, had not, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let us pray together. O oh God, you tell us that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Please nourish our souls with the food of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Although most of you will be hearing this message via a recording, I'm preaching for the handful of us here in the sanctuary in front of me. It's a poor substitute for gathering together. Christianity in its essence is a relational faith. God has made us for one another. We're to serve one another and to love one another and to edify one another and to encourage one another. So we consider this gathering online uh, a substitute, probably a poor substitute uh, but we are grateful that we can gather in some way, even though we're not together. In this passage of Scripture, we find that it comes right after Jesus had performed a miracle, the, the feeding of the multitude. In the previous verses, the, G, the disciples had come to Jesus, and they had said that he needed to send the multitude away back into the towns and villages so that they could get food. But Jesus told them, know that, that they would feed them. He takes the, basically the lunch, the five loaves and two fish that a, a young boy had, and he has the disciples seat the people in groups and then to hand out the food that just keeps multiplying and multiplying. It, it was amazing. Then on the heels of that, we come now to verse 45, and Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him to head to the town of Bethsaida, across the Sea of Galilee, he sends them in a boat. And we have the passing of time. Once they get in the boat, the next verse tells us it's now evening. The sun has gone down, and from the shore, Jesus sees them. And they're struggling at the oars against the wind. Perhaps they had been able to sail for a little while and make a lot of progress, but now the wind has turned directly against them. And they have to pull out the oars, and they are straining. In the Gospel of John, he tells us specifically that they needed to travel about three and a half miles, but the wind has blown them off their destination. The sails are down, the oars are out, and they are driving with all that they have. But despite their strenuous efforts, they're rowing, they're not getting any closer. In fact, the scriptures tell us they're further away from their destination. I want to make a couple of observations just about this passage at this point. 
Note first how suddenly their circumstances had changed. They had changed so suddenly, just a few hours before. They had been with Jesus and the multitude on dry land. They had been amazed at what God had done with the food that just continued to multiply and multiply. And it was amazing, and there was joy and astonishment. And now just a few hours later, they are in trouble. They are out on the lake in the dark, and the wind is against them. What a change. Just two Sundays ago, many of you were here in this sanctuary with me, and we were worshiping the Lord. Perhaps we were making travel plans. Uh, where we were going to eat or were we going to eat with some, have some people to our house that day for lunch. Maybe you were planning a, a visit with relatives or school activities for the week. And you had a good job. And things seemed secure, but now, just like a storm that, that blew up in a flash of time, there are troubles that were not here two weeks ago, by and large. You are in a storm. And now, rather than peace and security, there may be tension and difficulty and possibly fear and anxiety or discouragement about the future. Now, how quickly things can change for us as they did for these men. Perhaps in the boat, these, these tired and wet and somewhat panicky disciples are, are thinking to themselves or even out loud, how did we get into this? How did we get into this Mess. How did we end up here? And then they remember, oh yes, we're here because Jesus told us to get in the boat. He sent us onto the lake. They were in this situation because they were doing precisely what Jesus told them to do. And it was their obedience, not their rebellion, that landed them in this perilous situation. Despite of how some may caricature the Christian life, the reality is, is when we follow Christ, when we obey him, we expose ourselves to a variety of trials and sorrows that we did not previously have. You begin to care more about others. You care about the things of God. You care about living in response to the Holy Spirit. You care about people who are vulnerable and the uncommitted heart. One person wrote, never climb a mountain and you'll never bruise your shins, but you will also never experience the exultation of standing in victory on the peak. Never play baseball and you'll never strike out, but you also will never hit a home run. Never obey Christ and you may miss some of life's contrary winds, but you also will never know the winds of the Holy Spirit in your sails, bearing you on in service and power. So I want you to see and remember that obedience like for us, like for these disciples, often lands us right in the middle of difficulty. But do not assume that you're out of God's will when troubles come your way. They may be coming your way because you are obeying the Lord. Well, why then does God put us through adversity? Why did he put the disciples into this situation? Normally, one part of that is because he plans to demonstrate his grace and power. We see this throughout the scriptures. You think back to the well-known account of when Moses led God's people out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and all seems lost then. The Egyptian army is behind them. The ocean is in front of them. And God performs a powerful miracle, which is obvious only God to deliver. So he gets the glory. Later we read about Gideon 
with 300 soldiers standing up against an entire army. Humanly impossible situation, and yet God delivers and God receives the glory. What is God doing now? What is God doing in our nation now? What is God doing today in us, in you, and in me? What is God doing in our lives in concert with this national crisis? Are you praying more? He has stopped each of us for a reason. Perhaps some of us have time on our hand that we did not have before, maybe ever before. Perhaps now is the time he wants you to realize your dependence on him. Maybe he's showing you the dependence you may have on other things in your lives, possibly even idols in your lives that consume much of your time that, that you've not realized until now. Perhaps he intends to make all of us think more about eternal values and to search our own souls. Are we, are you prepared to meet him if you die? Let us not waste this call to prayer and repentance and lamentation and reflection that he's given to us now. And in such situations when he does deliver, it's obvious that it was he all along who did it. And he receives the glory, not ourselves. We also know from the Bible that God puts us through adversity to strengthen us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who are trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Note the word afterwards. It will yield the, the fruit of righteousness, but it, it doesn't come during the trial, during the, the time of testing. I've mentioned to you numerous times before about something that took place uh, back in the late 1980s. In 1987 in Arizona, there was a group of scientists that that had built a, an artificial environment that is still there to today, though it's, it's much more developed than it was at that time. But between 1987 and 1991, uh, scientists sequestered themselves in this artificial environment called the biosphere. Inside this self-sustaining environment, the biospherians created a number of many environments. There was a desert, there was a rainforest, there was even an ocean. And they could reproduce nearly every weather condition except one, wind. And over time, the effects of their windless environment began to show up. And primarily it showed up when a number of acacia trees began to bend over and snap. You see, without the stress of the wind to strengthen the wood, the trunks grew weak and they could not hold even up on their own weight. Though we often uh, avoid and shun hardship, we need to remember what God says, that he uses it, as it says in Hebrews, for our good, that we may share in his holiness. So God puts us through adversity and hardship in order to demonstrate his grace and his power. Back to the disciples in the boat. If you look at verse 47, it mentions that now it is evening. And then verse 48 refers, jumps way ahead and refers to the fourth watch of the night, which was between 3 and 6 a.m. So the point here that Mark wants us to see is that the disciples have been in the boat straining against the wind for several hours. 
For several hours they had been toiling, and for several hours Jesus had not come to them. At that point, he had done nothing about their suffering. But in verse 48, it tells us a key phrase, he saw them. He could see them way out on the lake from where he was on the shore. He could see that they were in trouble. He could see that they were tired. He could see that they were fearful. And then something extraordinary happens. He comes to them. And what's unusual, if you notice the passage there, he intends to pass by them. He intends to walk by them. What is up with that? Isn't that strange that he's finally coming, but you would think he'd come directly to the boat, and yet he's intending to pass by. We might even have concluded that Jesus did not care. Do you ever think that way when you face trouble? Oh, I realize God knows. I realize God is powerful, but I don't think God cares. It sounds awful, but we can have those thoughts. But it's wrong also. And so in verse 50, it tells us they're frightened. They see Jesus. They think it's some kind of aberration on the water, some kind of ghost. And they're terrified. They all see him. And yet it tells us that he comes and he reassures them, take heart or take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. That phrase is packed with meaning. Let me give you a little theology. When God raised up Moses and told him to go to Pharaoh and demand that God release his people from their 400 years of slavery in Egypt, Moses asked God, who shall I tell Pharaoh is sending me? And God tells him, tell him I am that I am. He called himself I am. We come to the New Testament, and when the religious leaders of the day heard Jesus say before that Abraham had rejoiced to see his day, and they said, you are not yet 50 years old. How is it that Abraham could have known you? Abraham had lived 2,000 years before this conversation. And Jesus responded before Abraham was, I am. He used the very name of God. He was saying to them, I am God. They realized that and they, they wanted to kill him on the spot because they thought he was blaspheming. And now he comes to the disciples in the boat and they are terrified. And he says, take heart, it is I. But the literal wording is, take courage, I am. They were seeing God in the flesh, the very one who had multiplied the loaves and the fish on the seashore for the multitude. So what does he use to, uh, to comfort them? It's not just the power over the waves and over the surf. He used with them what he uses with us. He uses his word and his presence. When you and I are experiencing the storms of life, it's very tempting to think that God has removed himself from us, but our text tells us just the opposite. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are in the storms, you can rest assured that you are an object of his compassion and his care and his presence. Take heart, I am, Jesus says. Well, the passage closes 
with that good news that Jesus was with them and they went on to the shore, but there's, there's some bad news as well. It tells us in the closing verses of the paragraph, and they were utterly astonished in verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The good news is the wind stopped and they were safe. The bad news is they failed a deeper test. The disciples had failed their test of faith on the water because they had not gained spiritual insight from what they had seen earlier that day with the miracle of the loaves. The miracle made no lasting impression on them. After all, if Jesus could multiply bread and fish and feed thousands of people, then surely he could protect them in the storm. When I was in college eons ago, it was normal that when you took any type of science class, you had a lecture that would be two to three hours a week, and then you had a lab that would go along with it. The idea was in the lecture, you got the academic information, and then in the lab, there was a hands-on experience where you could test out what you had been taught. Here we have the lecture, the class, had taken place on the shore. And then when Jesus put them in the boat, they were going to the lab. And when they got to the lab with the storm, they did not apply what they had seen earlier that day had happened on the shore. For all of us, there can be a disconnect between what we say we believe and how it affects our daily life. God teaches you things in order for you to mature in your faith. And perhaps right now is a laboratory for many of us. And it's time to apply things that we have learned in class for months or years or possibly decades. So I conclude with these thoughts. Following Christ can lead us right into the middle of the storm. Danger, difficulty, weariness, anxiety, dread, even sadness. But take cheer, as he says, take heart. Christ sees all. And he knows when we feel we're alone and we fear that no one else cares or can do anything about it. The important thing is that we trust him. So his word for us today is, take courage, do not be afraid. Fear not, I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I am with you, even to the end of the age. And I'd like to close as we began, which was with the Heidelberg Catechism question number one, which said, What is your only comfort in life and death? And the wise biblical answer was that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let us stand and pray and then receive God's benediction. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you that you tell us to take courage, for you are God, that we are not to be afraid, 
And as you have cared for your disciples in the past, you care for us. So we ask that this very day, this very morning, you would receive the fullness of our gratefulness and our adoration. In Jesus' name, amen. And now receive God's benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.